it got really dark for me when I, I didn't end up getting someone better than the man that raised me. I ended up getting someone worse. And what he did to my mom just sickens me. Welcome to another episode of Luke, Who Is Your Father? I'm your host, Ricky. I'm your host, Jules. I'm Kenny. Remember this season, we've turned the mic over to you, the listeners, to tell us about your family scandals, trials, and triumphs, and it has not shaped up to be for the faint of heart. <laughs> so a gentle reminder that the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode and all episodes this season are those of our guests who we have been so lucky to have. You can see this episode and all of our episodes and bonus content by subscribing to Luke, Who Is Your your father on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok at Luke Who Is Your Father Pod at Ricky Jump and at Jules Who Is Your Father. And follow us on Instagram at Luke Who Is Your Father at Ricky Jump and at Kenny K23. We so appreciate your support and we would love if you could take 10 seconds to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend, family member, or someone whose day you want to make or break. <laughs> <laughs> we're loving all of the reviews we've received, received so far. It really means a lot to us and really helps us out and helps people find the pod when you take the time to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you would like to be really, really nice, and only if you would like to be really, really nice, you can also take the time to actually write out your thoughts, give us your feedback, suggestion, heap praise upon us if you would like. <laughs> If you are by chance new here, we're triplets who were separated at birth, reunited, and found our biological father through ancestry DNA. We slogged through telling that story in season one and have been so glad to turn the mic over to our beautiful guests to tell their own stories of the Who's Your Daddy variety, both literal and philosophical. So to start with the question of the day, Jules, what is your favorite pizza topping? Do I have to pick... Can I say what my favorite pizza is? Sure. <laughs> Unequivocally extra sauce, always. Ew. Extra <laughs> tomato extra sauce. Extra tomato sauce. Okay. Jalapenos, mushrooms, pepperoni. Got thin it. crust. Thin crust. Thin and crispy. She mm -hmm. likes it soggy. <laughs> if it's thin oh, crust with no, extra sauce, that sounds soggy crispy as crust. No, no, no. No, no, no. There are places that know how to do it. And if not, you just throw it, toss that thing in the air fryer. And it mm. becomes crispy. We do love a pizza in the air fryer. Yes. Kendall, what is your favorite pizza topping? I'm going to have to go with sauerkraut on this one. I was hoping you <clears> would I was, say that. I will. <laughs> uh, specifically, my favorite when I worked at the pizza place was uh, pepperoni, black olives, mushrooms, and sauerkraut. However, that is for like a like a thicker kind of crust pizza. If I'm doing New York style, it's cheese. Just cheese. Yep. Yep. You know, for those of you who just heard the word sauerkraut and went, what the fuck? <laughs> all of us love pickled things. And if you like sauerkraut at all, please try it on your pizza. Can please Kendall told us try this? it on your pizza. Even if you don't like sauerkraut, I did not like sauerkraut until oh, I tried it on pizza. I don't and think I, I knew like, that. Holy crap. Give it a go. Mm -hmm. Be brave. And what is the, does the sauerkraut go under the no. cheese? Over no. the cheese. Oh, okay. I thought it went under. I, I did mean, too. either way, but... Well, I think it would improve the texture if you did it one way over the other, and it must be on top of the cheese. Mm -hmm. 
I hate it when there's onions under the cheese that you don't know about. <laughs> Anything under the cheese, yeah, it's kind of yeah. Out. Except I think sauerkraut <laughs> would be good. Under it's got to be like more of like a fine texture because when you bite into something and some of yes. it is left in the thing and some and of it is it hanging, out. it's mm. horrific. Nothing worse than that. Yeah, Ricky, I just jump. <laughs> I just realized that I have a death grip on this mic. Uh, I am a pizza purist. My favorite toppings are either cheese or pepperoni or half cheese, half pepperoni. And that's it. Cheese or pepperoni? Just cheese. Or, or just pepperoni? No. I mean, <laughs> I do love a red a red pizza where they just do like the... if Okay. If they're going to do a red pizza and just the sauce, then that's really good with anchovies on it and a squeeze of lemon. Without further ado... Man, do we have a doozy for you today. Today we are doing part one. It will be two parts of Jason Hyatt. You may or may not have seen Jason before because he is sibling number 48 in the documentary, Our Father. So, which is on Netflix. Yes, on Netflix. It is the aforementioned story that we mentioned in our trailer of a mass insemination. If you haven't watched the documentary, I highly recommend it. Jason has accredited it with being a huge part of his healing journey in finding out who his real father is. We are so happy to be graced by his presence. We know he does a lot of podcasts and we're hoping to just get a little bit more into the weeds than everyone else because he is truly just a total gem and we want him to tell his story in a way that maybe he hasn't had the opportunity to before. So we are very happy to welcome Jason Hyatt. All right. All right. Welcoming Jason Hyatt to Luke, who is your father. Jason is a voice actor, an environmentalist, and sibling 48 from the acclaimed Netflix documentary, Our Father. Welcome to the pod, Jason. Hello, ladies. How are y'all? We are just excellent. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And you are a fellow Austonian. I am. I am. North Austin, I am. Very nice. Have you melted somewhere where we can't oh, see? What does it say? 105 <laughs> now? Oh, yeah. Haven't gone outside. It has been unbearable. How long have you been in Austin? Um, For about three years now, but I mean, I came from Houston, so it's not oh, okay. better. That, how, how, how long have you been in Houston? Had you been in Houston? Um, Since I was six to college and then after college I went to Colorado for about four or five years. Okay, because I do detect a little twang. Mm, just that... a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Where did you live in Colorado? Colorado Springs. Okay. Like right next to Manitou. So we're all Ricky doesn't really consider herself I am. a Colorado girl. <laughs> Kendall and I grew up in uh Fort Collins, Colorado. Oh, okay. And yeah. then Rick Rick grew up in Brighton, Brighton Fort Lupton. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all kind of like tag team the same area, so huh? Yeah. They're lucky to have us. Be out. Y'all stayed away from Indiana. So I got you. My fiance is from Indiana. Oh. <laughs> Poor man. But he looks exactly like his father. So I think he avoided He's safe. your fate. See, yeah. See, that's. You never know. 
Jason, we are super excited to get into it. We love to start from the beginning. So obviously you've just told us about how you moved around, but tell us about how it all started, your childhood, growing up. Oh, okay. So we, we moved from Indiana when I was six and we went to Houston. And growing up, I had a father that was, I guess you could say, well, first off, he was Mensa. So he was kind of like the Big Bang Theory characters. Really hard to talk to. Only thing he understood was math, numbers, stocks. So we didn't have a really relationship, a good relationship. Most of the time, everything that came out of his mouth was either yelling or I'm wrong or do this, do that. So I knew something was odd from a really early age. And I didn't have a relationship with this man at all growing up. I played sports, I was athletic, I got scholarships, and he was in the math club. You know what I mean? We didn't click. How was no. your relationship uh, with your mom? Oh, I love her. Just don't do anything for her. You know, she just, I, I don't know how to explain it. She's dealt with this with, with grace and um, is so supportive. So you have a good relationship with your mom, despite her keeping a, kind of a secret from you. Right, right. And you obviously were getting to the point with this man who you were raised by, who you believe to be your father. Was there any indicators aside from the vast differences between you in terms of height, overall appearance, and his disposition? Or what what was eating at you so badly that you finally decided to ask your mom? And do you remember really building uh, up to that point? I can tell you to the exact point. You know, I grew up I grew up in a good area. My parents did really good for themselves. And I also saw all my best friends have that relationship with their father like their father was willing to tell them about their life and their day i couldn't tell you one thing except for what i saw and it was stocks in front of the space in the paper with the stocks on the tv and if i made a noise it was go up to your room or get out of my face you know what i mean so did you have siblings no he had four before me uh, okay. before my mom and I think that's the reason that he got a bisectomy. Yeah. And the youngest one is 15 years older than me. So you're growing up with your with your mom and your dad. Your dad is significantly older than your mom. Absolutely, yeah. Did uh, you have a good relationship with your mom as a child too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she was, I guess she was the reason for, I mean, she stepped in the way. He, I mean, he was not good to his kids. Right. Um, wasn't really a good father at that time in his life. My mom gave him an ultimatum. She was like, I want a child. This is what I want. And I'm going to do anything to get one. My dad was like, okay, well, you know, you're 13 years younger than me. And I'm sure I, you know, like, okay. So I, I do commend him for, you know, doing this for my mom, but that's it was, it. it was like a parent to you, it sounds like. It was a parent to you. Oh, oh you a were, parent. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. As you were growing up, that <laughs> it, it sounds like you didn't feel very wanted. I know that you said that she stepped in the way in reference to your mom. Yeah. Are you speaking literally? And do you feel as though because she was keeping this secret from you, she kind of did everything in her power to shield you from it and give you twice the love? I mean, in a way, yeah. I just think she was juggling between two things that she loved. And I know she loved my father. Um, I fell in love with my father after college. He just wasn't a good man while I was growing up. 
but soon after that he got alzheimer's and, and yeah so but yeah she shielded me many a times she i think almost ended it a couple times because of it he just you could just tell you know when someone that is supposed to be your parent loves you or not Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no warm tones. Every time I was around him, I felt nervous. I wanted to get away. I s- sat in my room and jammed Michael Jackson and played Legos. Like I just, I was a homebody by myself. So until my brother moved in and he was kind of like him, but he was violent towards me. So my dad didn't give him and his sisters what they needed but when he married my mom he gave my mom everything which meant i got a lot of things right so they didn't like me as well Um, so i didn't have a relationship with my siblings at all at all and i didn't know why being 15 years younger than them i had no idea and i just knew i knew my whole life besides my mom i knew something was wrong i knew i didn't belong i knew they didn't belong I knew something else should be in between. And that sounds, because it sounds like you were excelling. Well, first, tell us a little bit. I want to know a little bit more about your mom, like who she is. What, what did, what did she like? What did she excel in? My mom grew up extremely poor. She was a hippie, but ended up becoming a ballerina dancer and going to college being a dancer, but her mom got sick and she had to leave college and come home and start working. And she went that route. So, and then just work, work, work. And then got a job with the company where my dad was the vice president. Got it. Hmm. Mm. So that's sort of what I was wondering is because it sounds like you were excelling in things that your father had not excelled in. So it was probably, you probably had mixed feelings about that, right? Because you're, oh, yeah. you're um, an athlete. He, yeah. He told me later on in life, too, that he was jealous. I mean, mm-hmm. when you have a 14-year-old kid that's six foot at the time and can beat you in every sport you play, I mean. Yeah. But, I mean, I also give him a little credit because, like, when I was seven, he was 50. So, like, how much <laughs> can you really handle a 15-year-old kid? I'm just thinking about like, cause you're, it sounds like your mom was an athlete as well. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you have a child that is excelling athletically, right, it would, you would think that that would be something to be celebrated. Whereas your father was on the other side of the spectrum, very left brained analytic. So I'm wondering, you know, was there ever a part of you that tried to like dim your own light that way? Did you seek to excel in the things that he did as a way to try to bond with him what was that kind of dynamic Uh, no i mean in in a way um my dad was like i said mensa right and so incredibly smart and only thought about problems and problem solvings with the use of math and i'm not even kidding he was he graduated high school when he was 16. he got two majors in purdue university and he graduated two majors by the time he was 20. so he's he was always one that wanted to do everything with perfection and i guess that was something that through sports and through the things that i did growing up that's like guess was the only way I could get a, all right, good job, boy. I I would train left and right. I mean, I got a full ride to Boston College, but my knee went out and 
you know, then went into the parting stage at SFA. So yeah, he was he was the type of man that was sitting on the opposite side of the field with no one around, just screaming the whole time. So I just try to do everything with perfection. And if I could right. do it a little bit, then I wouldn't have to hear it around on the right home. You know what I mean? Something like that. By the time that you then are going into high school, you're an athlete, you're excelling in these things, and you decide to ask your mom the first time about your conception. What was the original story? First time I knew, <laughs> she was, she said, uh, first time she told me, she said she was on a trip. And I knew right off the bat, it was kind of shaky because it was so elaborate. I mean, you know, how it's like a like a 45 minute story about this happened, this happened, this happened. And so like that just light bulb went out. It's like, Hey, stay dim and ask her, you know, a couple of years from now, a couple of years from now, she made it another grandiose story and it was completely different from the other one. So it was, mm -hmm. I knew, I mean, I, I knew then like right then when she said the second one, and after you asked her and she told you, did you have conversations about it after? Or did you know that she may not remember the conversation and it was something that you were just going to let lie? Mm, actually, I do remember this like clear as day. It was about a couple months later. We had gotten in a fight about something stupid with family and they were treating my mom. My dad's family was treating my mom with disrespect and I wasn't going to handle it or have it. So I blew up to everyone. Well, you know, me towering over everybody. It's, you know, I don't have to worry about anybody in the family coming back to me. So we just got this big blow up that happened. And I think I said, you know, you guys are lying to me about who my dad is. And my dad came at me, stood my ground, and nothing, my mom got in the way again. And I just said, hey, look, I got your hair, I got her hair, and obviously I got a full head of hair. It's like, if I have to do this and go take it to the doctor and do this by myself, I'll never talk to you guys again. And then my mom, mm -hmm. my mom asked me to leave, didn't answer me. And then I met her. I was working for an environmental company, as weird as it, is, as it, as it sounds, but I was working for an environmental company that was across the street from where my mom's mom was buried in the veterans cemetery. And so she, she asked me to meet there for lunch and so it was my, my grandma's birthday or something like that. And she had no idea I was going to, I was going to come sit down and tell and ask her again. And when I did after her, we're talking about her mom and her mom lying to her about other stuff. I called her out again and she just immediately started crying. So I knew something was up. I went into my first depression, lost my job. It was a pretty tough time for me for a while. Picked it back up, ended up marrying somebody that I shouldn't have, who just took me for everything, money, my soul, my mind, everything. And I waited for years, years, years. And then finally, I just decided to get the ancestry, like I was saying. It was at the end of my marriage. So I wanted to do something positive. And I thought this was positive. Me, remember me building up this. Who am I? I'm going to meet my dad. I'm going to find out who he is and have a relationship. And then when that happened, it's just like another knot on the belt. And yeah. it seems like you had visceral reactions all throughout. More visceral than, for instance, I did when I found out it. By the way, because you don't know, <laughs> you and I have a very similar. My dad was 23 years older than my mom. They 
she issued him an ultimatum when she wanted to have a baby. They separated. He said, you can come home and we can have a baby because he had two kids from a, from a previous marriage that and he had also had a vasectomy and he had also had a vasectomy after that. So I, I want you to feel very understood. Our, wow. our experiences with our fathers were not the same, but you seem to have a visceral reaction with to this the entire way this seems to have been eating at you i mean for you to ask when you were a teen and then later did you know at the time that you were having a a big reaction and was it do you think because of what you were seeing other kids and their dads and how they were bonding or can you talk through how how you were feeling to confront your mom in such a way repetitively and then go into a depression after you really got the news that you were wanting to get yeah so you mean like you mean like um just seeing all the other kids have a yeah an amazing relationship with their fathers and you know my dad never around talk to us about how dark it got for you and when that happened started to really take hold of you well i i guess it was you know when it well see it, it i didn't know i thought it was that's how it was in childhood you know until i I thought that's how a dad was until, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, when I saw you know, all my friends' dads you know, bonding and going hunting or going to the beach together and or playing sports. You know, my mom, my dad was the type that only would do it if my mom made him. So, and then would just beat me real quick and go back inside. So I just thought that's how it was. But then realized that, you know, getting older, that's, that's, that's not the case. I think that, like I said, it got really dark for me when I, I didn't end up getting someone better than the man that raised me. I ended up getting someone worse. And what he did to my mom just sickens me. Just the procedure, how he did everything. And I'm not even sure if that even said it in the documentary. But how my mom and how the other moms remember it is he came in multiple times and for examination. And um, now I understand that that's not the case. That's not how anything is supposed to be done. So I just, I don't know. There's a lot. I just want to, I feel bad for my mom. I mean, I feel bad for my dad, even that he had to go live his life, you know, with lie. I, I just, I, I don't know. There's so much. Yeah. That brings up um, an interesting point. Because we so so far we've talked about that maybe your dad just didn't really want another child, and that's why he Absolutely. was treating I don't you. Even think he wanted the other ones, right? And I'm so sorry, and that that maybe that's why he was treating you the way that he was treating you. Do you also think that he was treating you poorly because, in his mind, you were the reason that he was having to harbor a secret that would also cause resentment and he obviously was and i want to talk a little bit about him and your mom's relationship but wasn't going to step outside of that that line so he might have been mad at you for even that side of it i i do believe that's the case i I just i don't know how you're you're right he he didn't i don't know how to explain it. it i guess in a way that he did not like me i don't know because he because he did sacrifice you know raising me and paying for i mean i give him that you know he didn't have that type of lovey-dovey father aspect but he did take care of me he did give me the things or give my mom the things to give me so 
I, I don't know. I that was a tricky one. Yeah. And don't worry, we know that there's two sides to every person. We're not just sitting here thinking that that no. is like the worst person in the world. Can you tell us what you know about their relationship before you and yeah. during you? I think that they the reason why they work is they're just on the complete opposite spectrums. She gives my dad the things that he needs that he can't do and vice versa. My dad was really smart with money, stocks, um, math, numbers, all that kind of things, paying bills, taking care of things, knowing how to fix things. And my mom was the one that was able to get him out, try to talk to people, try to hold a conversation. I mean, I'm telling you right now, and the entire time I grew up with him, we haven't had a conversation like this, like the me and you guys are having. It was nothing. Does it make you feel a tiny bit better at all that he didn't seem to do that with anybody? <laughs> yeah, it did. But like I said, growing up and seeing all my friends with their dads and just yeah. their dads, you know, like their offspring is just like them, you know, like it'd been one thing if I was a chess playing mathematic guy and was able to you know jump into those things that he loved but i mean the man played sudoku for fun like and i i get it it's, it's you know what ricky's, I mean? like, ricky's dying laughing because she just played her first game of sudoku and i'm not saying i don't play it but i'm saying like this is like you no, know, I get coming it. home from a long day this guy would go outside get him a glass and play sudoku uh, like, so he he your mom brought out well didn't bring out she tried to to bring out like the more extroverted fun side right. of him but was he like tender with her did yes. did they have a more Absolutely. transaction okay oh, yeah and and i think that's the reason why he did what he did right yeah. you know because he was head over heels for my mom um, that's what i mean yeah she I seems mean, to have been you, his savior a little bit uh, that's typically what? what i see from do that what? kind of relationship yeah absolutely um my and it was kind of vice versa too my dad i mean my mom was really poor and she grew up you know in a two-bedroom house with two other brothers that were alcoholics and drunks and died early too so i think my dad was kind of a like let me take you out of here you know let me mm -hmm. let me put you into a better situation type thing and stable maybe she i mean maybe she I mean, loves him now. Maybe back then it was just a way to get out of her situation. You know, she'll never tell me that, but I mean, I'm not stupid, so. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to you speaking to her at the cemetery and then deciding finally to pull the trigger on a DNA test. Yeah. But what I was alluding to when I said that you seem to have a visceral big reaction to this is I think that that is pretty admirable and pretty rare for you to have been so in touch with your feelings that entire time that you knew that it was something that was really bothering you. Because I don't think a lot of men know that something's really bothering them until they're like 40. <laughs> and for you One to One year away. <laughs> you look so, great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Except for <laughs> you, you don't see the gray hairs underneath the hat, so... I thought it was that way on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's very in. It's very in. No, no. <laughs> but for you to have been feeling that so potently all through your teens and observing the differences and to really seek the truth for so long and be okay even now saying it might not have bothered someone else in my position, but it really bothered me, I think is really 
admirable for you the entire way. I mean, it, it, trust me, it was not easy, but I think making this documentary that I made was it healed me. I mean, I, I don't think I've cried so much in my life when I was making that movie. It healed me to a point where I don't think about it daily anymore. Every once in a while I do, but he's, this whole situation is, is kind of in a way ruined a lot of things. Like I don't want to have children because of, I mean, I did for the longest time. I wanted to be a dad and I'm not passing that on. I don't know if it's hereditary, you know, I don't know if it skips, you know, generations, but he has some sort of a, of a mental disability, yep. of a genotics. And I don't want to explain to my child and have to go through a similar situation that I was put in, you know, even my situation with my parents. I don't want my child to come up to me and be like, why do I have to stay out of Indiana? Like, why? You know, you might run into 500 right. cousins. Like, you know, don't be going and dating anyone. You know, I don't, I don't want to have that. What I'm wondering is perhaps if as a kid, as he was growing up and having just being so brainy, typically those kids are treated terribly yeah and he didn't, have a, he didn't have a very good childhood either mm -hmm. and i'm just thinking pair of shoes till he was like six right so, that yeah i'm just thinking like as a kid growing up being super smart graduating at 16 going to college like that would have been probably tough especially in like early days where bullying was the norm and then he agrees to have you and you are a jock <laughs> essentially from the get and I'm wondering if maybe you also reminded him of kids who potentially maybe have oh, tormented him for his entire life that's probably oh it's a good idea I mean you're probably right mm -hmm. probably a lot of him that was uh, jealous that he couldn't do the things that I could do yeah, mm -hmm. if you were triggering to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think, because again, this is a parallel to Ricky's story, but do you think there was all, when you were, when you were born, because you were your mom's only son, mm -hmm. right? Correct. Did she dote on you? You already know. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm wondering, because, and Ricky, I hope you don't mind that I shared this part of your story, but your dad did this for her, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you were born, I think maybe part of him expected to be, you know, treated like a king because he had done this for your mom. And then maybe did he see a lot of attention maybe being taken away from him and given to you? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. And, and, and honestly, and the I, Jason is pointing to his nose. <laughs> the I love that. On the nose, yes. Right on the nose. Um, yeah, um, I've, I've been sitting at the top of the stairs many a times and remember them fighting about about me, about how he thinks I shouldn't do something. I'm a mom, you know, and just left and right. I mean, it was constantly. And I wasn't a bad kid, you know. I didn't get into trouble really till junior senior year, so I was a good kid. So um, I guess yeah. that's, a, that's a good point. Is because would you would you consider yourself a uh, people pleaser? Absolutely, of course. You care a lot about what other people think of you, which Absolutely. every every single person in this room does. So I think I, that's I was going to ask that when Ricky's talking about this really visceral reaction you were having, and I was wondering how much of that had to do with you just being so. Sad and upset that you were it seemed like you were never e able to please your father so maybe it's just not my father uh 
No, not not at first, because when I did see him around his other kids, it was, just, oh. I mean, it was the same way. It was, mm -hmm. you know, but the reason why, like I said, they call me the golden child is because I got everything I want. And it's not like I was completely spoiled or acted like it, but it was my dad, when they were growing up, I obviously he wasn't making the type of money he was when I was seven, when he was 50. He, you know, he really went to the next level. And so I got things that they didn't get. So they were jealous and brother beat me up constantly about it. And you know, picked on me as a kid. And yeah. When did, when did he move? Uh, your brother that moved in with you, was he the closest to you in age? The no, there's, there's one sister that is two years younger than him. Okay. So he's 17 years older than you. Mm -hmm. And tell us about him moving in to your, what, why did that happen? Oof. He himself was a wild child and got in trouble in college with drugs. And my dad yanked him out of Indiana University and yanked him down to Houston, gave him a bicycle and got him a job at the donut shop. And my brother was not happy. So only one he could take it out on was me. How old were you when he moved in? Seven, six. Seven. Do you six, think seven, in yeah. having lived with him in the time that you did and seeing, at least as far as temperament and disposition goes, such obvious similarities between him and your dad, that that, at least at a later age, further convinced you that there's no fucking way that I'm actually Absolutely. come from this person? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was a little bit more athletic. He, he got into drugs and also steroids. So he was real big and real buff when and he real came mean. and fucking real mean. That's like when you first said that your older brother moved back in, I'm thinking like Corey Matthews, and like Eric Matthews. Oh yeah, like, like a nice man. Typical no. like uh, older brother yeah. kind of, this is like a college man coming yeah. home and mm -hmm. beating up on his yeah. child. And, and when he went to come, when he went, he, he, I mean, it's not like it matters, but he, he was in a bunch of drugs, got tatted all up within like a year. And I mean, I don't get me wrong. I got tattoos everywhere on my body, but he just went from a, a dork, I guess, to all of a sudden this wild child. And it was like, do you think him uh, pushing against his own stereotype? Yeah, was he directly yeah. rebelling against his father? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It's not often that someone on this podcast unlocks memories for me, <laughs> but my, my dad's daughter, his son passed away. His daughter was older than my mom by a year. <laughs> and I am just now remembering that she despised me. And my parents were constantly telling me when I was younger that that was because my dad gave me attention that she did not receive. And now I am also seeing that she's biting her tongue the entire time to be like, she's yeah. not even his. Mm -hmm. But Oof. they, but they mm -hmm. didn't know that about yeah, you, right? No. They didn't know that about him. Yeah. No. How did your, did but, you? But my dad left their mom for my mom. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Okay. My that... mom works. Oh, my no. mom works for him was like a, secretary for like somebody like he was the vice president of the company 
So do you see why we're why we are wanting to dig into this? This is I mean, we know the second half of this is gonna be cuckoo bananas, but this is just as poignant and as relevant to who you are. Absolutely. Did your parents know that he the way that he treated you? Um, not for a long time. And it was because, you know, until I'll beat you up. And it was like he frightened me. I mean, ugh, he did some things that probably probably can't even say this on the podcast. Um, you know, you can say anything you want on the podcast. I probably don't. I, I probably shouldn't on that one. Okay. But he did some things to me that an older brother should never do. He beat me up constantly, locked me in closets, um, told me what. Show me what real manhood was. Um, I mean, he he was just a mean kid. And it was because he was coming off on heroin and taking steroids at the time and just mean. Um, and I didn't feel like telling anybody because the only person I had was my mom. I couldn't go to my dad and have that relationship with him. He probably would have smacked me and get away from him. I annoyed him for some reason. But um, when my brother did, you know, move in, he treated me like crap for years and years and years. And then when I finally became a man and grew three, four inches taller than him and became a lot bigger than him, he still was up to his old tactics. He got a divorce from his wife because he was taking pain pills. And I mean, he's just, he just was a bad guy back then. And he treated me and he was jealous of everything. Thank you for sharing. I know that that is hard. And I'm wondering because I have a little bit of this in my blood. So you, it sounds like you worked really hard to make your parents proud, be a good kid in high school. But you did allude to earlier that that might have shifted at some point. <laughs> Just a tad. Just a tad. Was this, tell us about when that happened and if you could make clear whether there was a distinct mm. correlation between you confronting your mom for the first time. And I think this was way earlier. No, it had nothing to do with it. Okay. Um, yeah. This was kind of like um, sports and, and, you know, getting a scholarship to, to, to Boston and it was kind of my escape, to be honest, I was ready. And then when I got hurt, I had to go to a Texas school. We, I, we're gonna get into you getting hurt, college in right. Texas, but I'm talking about in high school. Did you have a period of acting out in high school? And what, if so, what do you think? Was that just a normal teenage thing or did it have anything to do with what you were going through at home? Uh, no, it's just a, a normal teenage thing. Um, yeah, at that, at that point, um, when I did start, I guess, getting a little wild, my dad was uh, a little bit more laid back at that point. Um, still very mean, um, but just a lot laid back and I could get away with a lot. I mean, he was really old at that time, so he didn't catch the things that I would do. And then if I did get in trouble, my mom would be like, I don't see anything, you know? <laughs> so he wouldn't know. <laughs> okay. I'm just, I, I, uh, when I look back on my, Kendall and I, our father was very sick through all of our high school and her and I handled it very differently. And I think, and I mean, this is a, this is something that has plagued me 
my entire life, not just past this point, but what I was doing a lot of partying in high school. And I was like, oh no, this is just what, what my high school does, which was true. My high school was (laughs) very, very rowdy. But when I look back on it now, I definitely took it. I think it was coming from, from another place for me, like the level that I took it to. Um, So I was just wondering if you, if you thought that there, you know, any, any part of that had an effect on it, or maybe it was just, you know, your dad was asleep in bed and your mom was like, he was here the whole time. I swear. <laughs> I don't think it had any effect on me until my freshman year in college. Okay. So t- that's, that's t- when I took my uh, level of partying to the next level, I guess. Oh, uh, wow. That's a rough time too. I, it was the second time after I asked them and I had tore my knee up. My kneecap went to the back of my knee. Um, just found out, lost my scholarships. All the party people that I had hung out with in high school had went to SFA and joined a fraternity. And it wasn't the collared fraternities. It's the whole group. It was like the jocks over here, the pot smokers over here. You know what I mean? But we all hung out through parties. So I had my hand in, in a bunch of different activities and ended up getting into a drug that made me take it to the next level where I ended up starting to not care about anything, running it, being an idiot, taking it to college and being like, here, supply the whole, the whole party type thing. Yeah. Uh, I took it to a, a, a new level, not giving a, a shit at that point. If my parents, you know, if we had a relationship, because I, I knew at that point that they had lied to me already. So yeah, that, that point I did take it to a new level. That sounds like the perfect storm, which again is just a theme that we have seen. So you have, you have injured yourself. You're having to give up the thing that you love. And this is right after was the second time that you asked them when you knew for sure that they had lied to you. Oh yeah. Like I said, it was, it was completely different, elaborate story. You know, it was like, Lord of the Rings and then, I don't know, Star Wars. It's like completely opposite. I mean, I don't know both of those, but. Yeah, so it sounds like, yeah, I'm doing a lot of, um, were you doing it? Were you like, fuck you guys. You lied to me. I don't even care what you think of me because I'm not even your, I'm not even your kid. Or were you just trying to. That was a little bit, yeah. Yeah. But a lot of it was like, I. Like, get me the fuck out of here. Like my life was over, I think, right. you know, because so you know, I played, I played, you know, Olympic development teams. I, I played, you know, high up there, you know, the, the same Olympic team that Clint Dempsey, that, you know, in the U S soccer team played, you know, I played with, you know, people that play in the Guam national team. So I think it was at that point where I don't have anything going for me. My parents are lying to me. I'm just going to ruin myself. No reason to take care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I did. And I destroyed myself. I destroyed my nose. So you can obviously know what what that means. You go back to Texas. You're working across Mm -hmm. from your mom's mom's grave. Mm -hmm. You confront her in this cemetery. And then you you sort of alluded to earlier, that was when you got to the point where you were like, fuck it. I'm just going to take a DNA test. So talk to us about that little journey. Well, no, no. At that point, when I did talk to her, it was like a dream, like a cloud. Like I was in a bubble. I got so depressed, went 
And I mean, I had the cops doing a welfare check on me. All I can really remember about that month is I sat in my apartment, no lights on, drinking bottles left and right, smoking weed, you know, doing, you know, just getting messed up and um, started smoking spice um, because it was stronger than weed at that point, right? So that put me into the hospital and shut down my kidneys, um, almost went into dialysis from it. So uh, I, and after that, uh, see, there's, there's so much. Before that happened, I had been dating a girl that I had met through the work that I was at at that time. And we had been talking for a couple months. It was like one day I didn't hear from her and I found out and, and I know if you want to get into it, we can, but um, thought she just ghosted me. So I was depressed at that point and just said, you know, there was a couple girls that were, you know, trying to get at me. And I finally just said, okay, I will, I'll get with the one that I went to high school with. Beautiful. She was a Houston Texans cheerleader at one point. And I said, okay, well, I'll do it. Well, you know, after I got married, I found out the girl that ghosted me was in a car accident that night. And can only type through the computer now. So like, I just had one thing left and right build up and the marriage that I had was the wrong marriage. She was evil. Um, and I'm not saying everybody is, but she, you know, dwindled my bank account. She used me. She didn't do anything. She was a poet and a writer at the time. You know how writers get their money up front. She got her money up front. And when the deadline, came around uh, and it wasn't done, who do you think had to pay for it? Who do you think had to pay the money back? I did. So it was like, she just used me for years. And, and at that point when my marriage was going at a downward spiral, I found out about the deal. So you're obviously in a relationship where I feel like in line with everything that you've said about your mindset up to that point, you're sort of accepting what you think you deserve. And where in that relationship did you decide to take a DNA test and how did that logic go? Uh, well, it, like I said, I think I told you earlier, I, yeah, it was just a horrible, crappy time in my marriage and I wanted some good news. I wanted to finally find my dad, you know, ancestry, I've been holding back on it and I was like, man, maybe I can find this guy and he can get me out of a, this little hole that I'm in. And it was, I checked it. It was 3,006 hints. And within five minutes, Jacoba called me. You know, I thought it was one of my girlfriends back home playing a joke on me, you know, being stupid. So I hung up and a couple minutes later, a couple minutes later, um, I can't remember. I mean, there's 106 of us now, but I can't remember which, who, who called second and sat down and, you know, I was like, look, you just talked to Jacoba. I need you to sit down. This is what it is. And the point I knew when my relationship was over was when I walked through my door and she started crying. And the first words out of my wife's mouth is, well, what am I going to do? Like, what is this? Like, like, like she insinuated, like, is this going to, is this going to affect my life? type type of thing instead of like being supportive and 
you know, because she was just all self-centered. She'd been like that her whole life. You get the DNA test results back. You get a phone call from Jacoba. You hang up on her, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get, <laughs> you get a, a second phone call and they say, mm-hmm. this is who I am. You need to sit down. What exactly do they tell you? They told me. And how me- did they get your phone number? <laughs> it was it's on the ancestry thing okay, so uh, i think okay. yeah it was, it was on the ancestry thing because you know thinking i didn't think this crap was gonna happen so i wouldn't have done any of that if i would have known like, yeah, I, you were trying to make yourself easy to find mm-hmm. okay and a good situation to get into not not that so yeah she told me to sit down she told me just sat. she just told me that um right now we don't know the whole story whole thing yet but um we believe that our doctor used his stuff on our moms and at the time it was like 14 like 14 to 17. so she just she pretty much just told me that we think it's the doctor it's leading up to that but we're waiting on i can't remember if we're waiting on a lawyer to help us get some information at that point honestly guys i i i was shocked it was like fried at that moment um, I don't even remember driving home. I don't. I don't remember a lot about that day. I think we all understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do know I went to the liquor store after work. I went to both weed store and and the alcohol store. So yeah, because I was living in Colorado. But I went home and, and like I said, I told my wife, and she she just said, "Well, um, how is this going to affect me? Is this going to you know affect?" anything to do with i can't remember what she said exactly but my livelihood pretty much or do we like she was just going into this like oh are we gonna have to move or do you need help are we gonna have to pay for you to get therapy like she was just concerned about the things that she shouldn't have been concerned about you know what i mean and it just it just showed me that this female wasn't in it to really win it with me so she was having some sort of an issue with yeah she had Lyme disease well she said she had Lyme disease and we had to go for doctors and doctors and doctors to figure out that hey you need to go to Colorado and get on this tincture type thing so I spent all my money and did everything I could to get her to Colorado and when she said how is this going to affect me type attitude it just was like Man, the next, I remember like that week, I had just been down and depressed. She was having a procedure. She was going to go in and get some sort of a stint put in. And then she was going to stay at her friend's house, right, for a couple of days. And so I had, I was by myself. I had gotten another call from, I believe it was Jacoba, and talked a little bit more, got off the phone and drank, took pills, um, smoked, and tried to hang myself from my fan. Luckily, um, the fan fell, um, and I woke up at like three in the morning with the fan on the side of me, and just remember throwing up um, because not from the drugs and alcohol, but from disgust from this whole situation. And I think everything just got to me to a point where I broke down. I broke down to doing things that I never thought I was I would do. I had went into my closet and taken out 
a pistol and a shotgun and uh, a rifle. I don't know why I needed all those, but I wasn't even my, my right mind. I ended up driving all the way to St. Louis from Colorado Springs and realizing at that point that if I do this or have these thoughts, then I'm just like him. I don't want to be anything like this man. Sweet, sweet guy. Honestly, I I think you can kind of tell that that is not the type of interview he's used to doing. And I think he was such a trooper to take us through kind of the mud of things that he doesn't normally discuss on this type of podcast. Um, and yeah, I mean, I stand by what I was saying in the interview. I just think it's really interesting and a testament to him and how in touch he is with his emotions that he was pretty distraught about this entire situation from a very, very young age and seems very comfortable talking about that and was pretty upfront about it at the time to have been talking to his parents about it so early. Yeah, I agree. And uh, thank you, Jason, for being so vulnerable. And I think that's important. I think that's something that we really, really hope that we're focusing on and hoping that we're get ac getting across is that when we reach out to these people and we want to tell their story, I think they automatically jump to, okay, they want to get to the, you know, penultimate event or the climax of this story, which for us is very, very important, but we know that there's a lot that goes into that. And I think it can get very like glossed over for some people. And they feel like this, this, this piece of the story makes up who they are in other people's minds. So I think to go deeper and to really explore the first part of that, because it doesn't, it's not all about this DNA test. Well, no. And what we heard from going through our entire story in season one, that's what people were most interested in Yeah, was the point A to point Z of everything that comes into your life when you are being affected by something like that and all of the little elements, quote unquote, that made you who you are when you did reach the the climax or the event. Exactly. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it was just interesting hearing like a, a totally new story, new perspective and... Um, really appreciative for him for opening up to us so much and kind of letting us, you know, ask all of our questions and, um, yeah, he's, I, I mean, I'm sad that he had such a, that he was so sad, but yeah. I'm glad that he's kind of working through it similarly to how, uh, we worked <laughs> through stuff and also just the parallels with this guy. <laughs> I, we always have parallels, but yeah. man. Yeah. Well, next week, we're so excited to bring Jason back and we will be chatting with him about what he and Jacoba and the rest of his many, many siblings did come to find out about their real parentage and how he got involved in Netflix and the healing that he's done done since. So, and as a special treat, and I hope you don't have to edit this out, but for he will be here. 
he will, will be, be in here. studio <laughs> in studio come hell or high water we're gonna make it happen we're gonna make it happen but for now we are signing off in the meantime we hope you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic excited for the possibilities and of course more curious about the world around you have a good week take things in stride and leave people better than you found them we'll see you next time bye bye, bye. Okay, we need to get this so done. I still have to be heart. Though, you guys. Yeah. This is a big burden, okay? Is everything set up? Yep, we're ready to go. Okay. <laughs> I had something specific that I wanted to talk about. Don't remember. <laughs>